Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including gathering times and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Jennifer Roth. Hey, one of the things we celebrate around here is new life in Christ. So there are four roses at the cross today that represent Amanda, Ellie, Izzy, and Liliana, who all have put their faith in Jesus this week. Can we celebrate that together? The other thing I would like you to know is that if you did not get one of these on the way in, this is a reflection that we're going to use at the end of the service that you'll want. So I would just encourage you to grab one if you don't have it. And if you're at home or joining us on live stream, stream, you'll be able to follow what we're talking about. But here in the sanctuary, you might want that slip of paper. And by the way, good morning to those of you who are joining us on live stream. And we're so glad that you're with us in this service in that way. A while back, oh, I'm telling a story right now, and it'd be a great time to go get that slip of paper if you want it. It's, you know, you can catch up later. I don't mind if you move. So a while back, uh, something changed around our yard. Uh, The neighborhood cats, and just don't even get me started on the neighborhood cats. One of them is ours, but there's a lot of them, and they're cats. Anyway, they became more aggressive. Uh, So cat food that I had kind of in a sealed container to fill the bowl with was getting tipped over every night and spilling out. And our dog, Lucy, who's adorable but not in the least bit ferocious, um, was just really kind of agitated when I was letting her out at night. And matter of fact, there was this one night that I let Lucy out super late. It was super dark out. And she roused one of the cats out of the bushes and it jumped up on the fence rail and walked the fence rail hissing at her and then climbed a tree. And I thought, was that a cat? It's pretty dark. I'm not sure, but that it seemed kind of big, like bigger than Lucy. Now, she's not big, but it all came clear when Jeff and I pulled in one night after a date night, and it was dusk, and here was just the cutest little raccoon on our front porch you've ever seen coming around the corner, just a cute little thing, and Jeff says, oh, that also makes sense of something else I've discovered in the yard. I had not seen it yet. Apparently, there was a pile of scat growing in the backyard that Jeff had noticed I had not seen yet. And uh, so as our family was discussing all of this, the appearance of the cute raccoon, the pile of scat, somebody, one of my children, I think, Googled, um, do raccoons do their business in the same spot? And we all became aware of something that I had never known before. Have any of you ever heard of a raccoon latrine? There was one, okay, there's like, what? I see a couple hands. It's a thing, you guys. It's a real thing. Like, raccoons do go do their business in the same place. As a matter of fact, here's how it's described. A raccoon latrine is a site where those furry, masked critters repeatedly deposit their business in one particular spot. It's actually somewhat biblical. In Deuteronomy, you know, when they were setting up the laws, he told them to establish a place outside the camp to go do their business. Uh, But So... In a perhaps ill-advised action, I decided to go see said raccoon latrine. Uh, Curiosity, I I don't have any pictures for you. You're welcome. Um, And what it brought to mind was, how could something so cute be so vile? I mean, you guys, if you ever doubt the existence of a raccoon latrine, just take my word for it, because in our backyard, we had a rather large, and I am not exaggerating with my hands right now, large pile of raccoon proof that it came to the same place over and over and over again to do its business. And this is what we've seen in our series in the book of Hosea. You're welcome for that transition. (laughs) 
See, Hosea is a prophet who's speaking to the nation of Israel who keeps going back to the same place over and over and over again, right? We've been in this series, and, and Ra, uh, Brian started it and, and told us this object lesson of Hosea and his unfaithful wife, and yet God's relentless pursuit of us. And then Rob last week talked with us about the prophetic lawsuits and all the accusations coming against the people of Israel, and yet, not only God's love for us, but his vulnerable love where he exposes his heart to us and how much he wants to be with us. And so once again this week, we're going to see that yes, there is a cycle of accusation and punishment and the sin of the people, but once again we see that God is the one willing to put himself in the gap to break the cycle for us, and he's provided a way out of this cycle of going back to the same places over and over and over again. Because what we're going to see today is that only Jesus can break the human cycle of sin and death. Only Jesus can break this human cycle of sin and death, whether it's the Israelites or whether it's us. Only Jesus can break that cycle. So as I mentioned last week, Rob set up this courtroom idea for us, these these prophetic lawsuits. And this week, what I'd like to frame this in is actually a family room. Uh, Because this week in chapters 12 through 14 of Hosea, the prophet is reminding them of things in their past, reminding them of, of Jacob and of Moses and of their time in the wilderness and how God has been faithful and how they have turned away. That this is a generational thing. This is a family problem. This isn't just a one-off kind of a, oh, we shouldn't have done that. This is a pattern. And so in the family room today, we're going to look in the chapters of 12 through 14 and just see what God has to say to us. If you want to follow along, you can sure open up to Hosea 12, but just let me tell you that we're going to be pulling from a lot of different verses, and anything I do read specifically will be on the screen behind me. So chapters 12 and 13 are this cycle. They demonstrate the cycle of accusation of the sin, uh, prophesied punishment of what's going to come as consequence for their sin, the reminder of their history, both of God's faithfulness and their faithlessness, and then these invitations. God continues to interject these, but come back to me, but acknowledge me, but change your ways. He continues to invite them to return to him. And then there are also these interjections of the declarations of who he is. I am your God who saved you. I'm the God who's been with you. And so there's this, honestly, as I was preparing for this, it kind of felt a little bit chaotic as you read through it. And one verse is a punishment, and the next verse is a promise, and the next one is an invitation, and and it weaves together, and it's kind of like this ball of yarn that's all tangled up. And our project today is to kind of pull it apart a little bit and see what the thread is that comes together. And what the thread is that we're going to see is that only Jesus can break this cycle that creates that chaotic place because I don't think the Israelites were the only one who live in that kind of chaos. I know that in my head and heart, even though I've been a Christ follower a long time, there are days, moments, seasons of life when it feels a little bit like that in my head, right? Man, I shouldn't have done this, but God gives me grace, but I should try to do better, and then there's conviction, and then there's shame, and which is which, and and I can get kind of tangled up in my own head in similar ways, and needing to pull a little bit out and go, okay, God, what's your truth in my life? And that's what we're aiming for today. So some of the accusations that are made through, from God through the prophet Hosea, that Israel is surrounding themselves with lies and deceit and violence, that they're making alliances with other countries to seek their security in political alliances rather than in trusting God, 
that they love to cheat. Not only do they love to cheat, and they are gaining power and wealth through dishonest means, but they boast about their power and wealth and about the fact that they don't get caught in the way that they are developing their security. And then he goes on to accuse them of worshiping idols and worshiping Baal, who is also an idol and a false god. But I want to point something out to us today about this because I think it is um, informative for us. So worshiping Baal, okay, Baal was a god of other nations. He was a pagan god. And when you worship Baal, essentially what you're saying is, I see this thing that somebody else is finding security in, and I'm going to try that for my security and for my safety. That's where I'm going to point my worship. That's where I'm going to point my attention. That's what I'm going to believe in. It is being co-opted by something else in the world, something that someone else believes in and saying, okay, I'm going to try that. We're being influenced by the world around us. On this other hand, are idols that they created themselves. They took some wood, they carved it out, they made it into some sort of image, they put it in their place of worship, and they said, you are God. And they worshiped it and said, you will be the one to save us. You will bring us security. You will bring us happiness. You will bring us satisfaction. And on one hand, when we read the Old Testament and we see don't worship idols, we think, well, that's fine, I don't worship an idol. But do we? Is there something else in our life that we have created out of who we are that we have said, this is what's going to bring me happiness. This is what's going to bring me security. This is what's going to keep me safe. Maybe it's financial security and it's become an idol and it's the thing you worship. No, you don't bow down before it and say, you are my God, but you live as if that's the thing that will bring you security rather than trusting in God when times of insecurity rise. There are others that we could name. We might come back to that later. But just be thinking about, Baal, are there ways that you've been influenced by the world to look to something other than God? Or are there ways that have risen up from within you that you've decided or that some default in you has has thought or believed, wow, this is the thing that could bring me safety or security? Relationships, substances, behaviors. So perhaps the most telling of these accusations is Hosea 13, verse 6. And I'm going to read that one to us here. It says this. But when you had eaten and were satisfied, you became proud and forgot me. Ouch. Friends, all of these other accusations are idol worship, the way that we forget to trust God, the way that we become violent or deceptive, or we try to make ourselves powerful through other means— All of that comes out of forgetting who God is. And for the Israelites, they forgot that he was the one. He was the God of heaven's armies. The one who met Jacob face to face. The one who met Moses in the burning bush. The one who was with them and fed them all those years in the wilderness. The one who divided not just the Red Sea, but stopped the Jordan River to bring them into their promised land. He was the one who brought them to this place of wealth and satisfaction. And when they got there, they forgot him. And they began seeking their security from their political alliances, from their own ability to gain wealth, whether that was honest or dishonest, and they perpetuated a cycle of going back to places that didn't serve them well, that disobeyed God, that set them up for pain, and that hurt themselves and hurt others. The punishments then that are listed here, he says, I'm going to make you live in tents again. So he's taking away the security of their homes, perhaps to make them need him again. He says in Hosea 12, 14, that he's going to sentence them to death for the payment of their sin. And friends, some of us 
or, or some people that you know even, maybe, they process God as this vindictive, punishing kind of God because of verses like this, where it says he's going to sentence them to death as a payment for their sins. And it, it says this in the New Testament, too. It's not just an Old Testament concept. If we look at Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it tells us straight up, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. It was true in Hosea's time, it's true in Paul's time, and it's true in our time. But here's the thing I'd like us to think about about sin. I don't believe that God was just up there in heaven and he says, okay, I need something to punish people for so that we can establish this rhythm of obedience or disobedience. So I'm going to choose this, this, and this, and if they do that, I'm going to punish them. It's not a vindictive God trying to find a way to punish us. It's a God who created the universe, who knows us intimately, who understands the human heart and the human mind, and he's looking and he says, there are things that will hurt these people. There are things that if they do them are going to cause anguish and pain and despair, and I want to keep them from that, and I'm going to call those things sin, and I'm going to give them warnings, and I'm going to say, look, if you do this, it's going to hurt. Don't do it. And if you do it, these are the consequences that you're going to get. The wages of sin is death. God isn't just waiting to hit his smite button on us. Anybody else seen that Far Side cartoon where the piano, nobody? There's a piano and the movers and there's somebody walking underneath and God's got his finger on the smite button just waiting to drop the piano on the unsuspecting person. That's not our God. Our God is one who loves us so much he wanted to give us warnings of what would happen. And when he says in Hosea 13.1 that they have sealed their own destruction by worshiping Baal, it's not just that he's offended that they worship Baal, it's that they are worshiping something that cannot save. Do you get this? Baal cannot save them. So they have sealed their own destruction because they are praying to a God that cannot save. The idols that we have set up in our lives, the things that we go back to over and over again, they can't save us. Jesus is the only one who can break the cycle of sin and death for humanity. And the good news is, he can break the cycle of sin and death for humanity. Hosea 13.9 says this, You are about to be destroyed, O Israel. Yes, by me, your only helper. <laughs> now where is your king? Let him save you. God is pouring out his heart again. I'm your helper, but I'm in the place of needing to destroy what's going on because it's not allowing you to live in the fullness and the fruitfulness that I created you to live. It's here in this family room that Hosea is saying, hey, remember your history, Israel. Remember when you asked me for a king, when you actually had a god, but you wanted to look like the other nations, and so I gave you a king. And I think what God is saying is, how's that working out for you? <laughs> how's that working out for you? How's that pile of proof <laughs> in your life that shows that nothing has really changed. That generationally, this is the pattern. This is the cycle. This is the way it has looked, Israel. And don't we do the same thing? Don't we have patterns of sin and addiction that lead us away from God? that we can't break, that we have tried to break in our own strength. We've tried to get out of the cycle and we'll obey for a while, but it just comes back. Don't we have thought 
processes, faulty ways of thinking that influence the way that we perceive our world and process our thoughts and make decisions about how the world works. Sometimes that faulty thinking leads us to relationships that continue to be broken through unforgiveness and resentment or ways of living that are just paralyzed by insecurity and by doubt or perfectionism. That's my own drug of choice there, perfectionism. Looking to things other than God for our satisfaction, for our happiness, for our security, for our safety, for our wholeness, and our wellness. Imagine our own family room conversation. So, Jennifer, what are you going to do about that pile of proof in your backyard? (laughs) What are you going to do about these places that you get stuck that you continue to cycle back to, where you fail to trust God, you forget what he's done in the past, and you lean on your own understanding in pursuing ways that don't actually satisfy and don't lead to life. This this whole thing reminded me of what Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 7. I want to read that to us this morning. It says this, And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my spiritual, my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. (laughs) I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. That's truth. (laughs) But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. That is also truth. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? The cycle of the Israelites was the cycle of the Romans in Paul's time and is the cycle of humanity in our time. It has not changed. Who will rescue us from this body of death? And so I would ask you today, what does your cycle look like? What is that thing when, when, when your life gets disrupted, when tension rises, when insecurity comes up, fear or anger or sadness or hurt, when those things rise, where do you turn? I know for me, I don't love tension. <laughs> I don't love that internal feeling of disruption. So when it rises, I've got two choices, Right? I can turn to God and say, God, this is what I'm experiencing and this is what I'm feeling and you are God and you know all things and I trust you and I know that what you want for me is good. So would you give me eyes to see through the power of your Holy Spirit and would you lead me in the way I'm to go and with humility submit myself to God? Or I can go to my things which are distraction (laughs) and escape things and things that just get my mind off of it because maybe if I can get my mind off of it, I don't feel it. And a variety of us have different distractions and escape things, right? Some of us work harder. Some of us have substances that we turn to. Some of us have activities that we turn to just to kind of tune out. I just need a little bit of a break. And I would say that there are points in time when we make a decision about what we are going to do. And those points in time become a pattern in our life. 
things that become a habit that we practice that becomes a part of something to such a point that it becomes a pathway in our life. It is a way that we are being and a way that we are living. And this is the cycle that Hosea is describing. There have been points of time when the Israelites have chosen to trust in other nations, to build up themselves, and to worship other gods rather than trust the God that they know. And that has become a pattern in their life. And that has become a pathway and is leading them on the pathway to death. What does your cycle look like? What behavior or addiction or thought process do you return to over again? What have you set up as an idol in your life? Maybe there's a generational pattern in your family and you see it and you know it and you want to be the last one. You say, it stops here, but you don't know how because it's such a default mechanism inside your mind or your heart or your body. Where do you identify with Paul and cry out, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And I would say that Paul gives us the answer right in Romans 7. He said, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Only Jesus can break the human pattern of sin and death. And this is what we see in Hosea, this foreshadowing of the Messiah. Because part of the pattern in this prophecy is that God offers them a way out over and over and over again. Yes, he lists all the accusations. Yes, he lists a lot of punishments. But he also invites them to return to him over and over and over again, showing that he not only is willing but wants to give them a way out. Look at this variety of ways that God is inviting them to himself to give them a way out in Hosea. In 12.6, he says, So now, come back to your God. Act with love and justice and always depend on me. He's still there and trustworthy, friends. 12.10, I sent my prophets to warn you with many visions and parables. I think sometimes we hear the Old Testament and the prophets and we think uh, they were just so harsh. But every single prophet was God's message to say, turn back to me, it's not too late. 13.4, you must acknowledge no God but me for there is no other savior. He's putting his heart out there again. I'm your savior, there is no other and then in 14, 1 and 2, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Friends, Israel had this cycle, like a raccoon, cute but vile. <laughs> they kept returning to the same things over and over and over again. And in the time of Jesus and Paul, the people were still turning to the same things over and over again. And in our day in 2022, we are still in this cycle, but God gives us an off-ramp. He gives us an off-ramp to this spinning cycle, and the off-ramp is repentance. See, if you, like me, are stuck in ways of being and ways of thinking and ways of acting and you've tried hard and you've tried everything you know and you still end up back in some of those same places, maybe it is alcohol, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's just trying harder or working harder, maybe it is escape and just getting lost in social media or Netflix or just something that gives you some space. I don't know what it is for you, but if you want a way out, if you identify with Paul in Romans 7 where he says, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do, and it's that chaotic place inside where you're desperately longing for something to pull out the string that makes it clear, 
God has given us an off-ramp, and it's the off-ramp of repentance. It's humbling ourselves and saying, this is how we have sinned, this is how, what we have trusted in, and this is how we're going to turn back to you. Here's the, one of the great promises, which is one of the reasons why people love the book of Hosea, even as kind of crazy as it can be. Listen to Hosea 14.4. The Lord says, then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds, for my anger will be gone forever. Did you hear it? Did you notice it? I just have to tell you that this captivated me when I was preparing for this message. He says, I will heal you of your faithlessness. Friends, all of the accusations, they're true. All of my own sin and my patterns and my behaviors, they're my fault. And yet God, even after 14 chapters of saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, he says, and I get that you can't do it. And so I'm going to do it for you. The psalmist says that he knows that we are but dust. The gospel says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no way to come to the Father except through him because only Jesus can break the pattern and the cycle of sin and death in our lives. And God says, I will heal you of your faithlessness. I will step in. I will send a Messiah. I will give the sacrifice so that you can turn back to me. I will provide a way for you to turn to me, and I will turn to you, and I will heal you. And what goes on here is he expresses his love and that his anger will be gone forever. He paints this metaphoric picture of a flourishing flourishing garden. And the thing about this garden is it's not just a nice blessing, it's actually a reversal of the curse and the punishments and the consequences. Because see, in verse chapter 13 of Hosea, the prophet prophesies drought. This wind will come and it will dry up their wells and it will dry up their rivers and there will be this terrible drought. And yet when he proclaims the blessings in chapter 14, he says there will be blossoms and new roots and shade trees and fruit. See, it is the picture of God's complete restoration of his plan in your life and of his complete redemption of the cycle that we can't get out of ourselves. It's like Shua said in her testimony. It's that God was moving behind the scenes before she even knew her need to answer her prayer. And God is doing the same in our lives. He's done it on the eternal scale by sending Jesus, and he does it on a minute scale day by day in the ways that he meets us, provides for us, cares for us, and loves us deeply. God is moving ahead of us in ways that we cannot see that when we turn to him, he will be there, ready, loving, wanting us to be present with him. This last verse that I want to read to you today is from Hosea 14, verse 8. I just see it as kind of a culminating moment of God's heart for us. He says, Oh, Israel. Oh, Salem Alliance. Oh, Jennifer. Stay away from idols. Stay away from those false security and false hopes and those things that will lead you down false paths that will never satisfy. Stay away from those things that will suck you dry. Stay away from those things that are deceiving you and lying to you that have taken your allegiance, but they do not satisfy. I am the one who answers your prayers. Do you hear his heart? He says, I am here. I answer your prayers. I care for you. I am like a tree that is always green and all your fruit comes from me. Friends, everything in life that is life, everything that we need for life, everything that we need to follow God, it all comes from him. 
Anything good that comes out of humanity is the fruit of God at work in humanity. And the off-ramp to the cycle is repentance. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're actually going to take some time while we're in this place to do a reflective response on repentance. Sometimes when we get to this place and the preacher steps down, there's one more song and the service is over, we're not quite there yet today, friends. We actually have built in some time for us to have a reflection together. So this is when you need this sheet. If you don't have one, when the music starts, please feel free to go grab one in the back. Um, I've got a couple extras on the front, front pew here if you're closer to me. But what this is, is it's Hosea chapter 14, 2 and 3, which we're going to read together. And on the back side is a template for this response. So let me read this to you. Forgive all our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. Assyria cannot save us, nor can our war horses. Never again will we say to the idols we have made, you are our gods. No, in you alone do the orphans find mercy. So what you're going to do with this reflection time is, is I've put some blanks in this scripture, just right here. And you're going to look at what the prophet wrote, and you're going to fill it in actually with what your stuff is. Okay? So, forgive all our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. And then you fill in the blank, cannot save us. What is it in your life that you turn to that you need to declare to God today, I know this can't save me. Nor can, and fill in that blank, because there's probably more than one. <laughs> Never again will we say to that idol that perhaps you've created in your life that you, and what is it that you look to that idol to do? To save you? To be your God? To make you happy? No, in you alone, God. And the prophet says, do the orphans find mercy? And here's what I want to say today. Every single one of us who walked into this worship center need God to do something in our life. Perhaps it is mercy. Perhaps it's healing, perhaps it's forgiveness, perhaps it's hope. But would you fill in that blank with the thing that you need God to do as a declaration of faith that he is the one who can do what you need him to do? Let's pray. God, you are our only hope. And you are our hope. You are the only one who can break the cycle of sin and death, and you can break the cycle of sin and death. You are the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper. You are the light in our darkness. And so we look to you. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to open our eyes and our hearts to see what you would, in your kindness, lead us to repentance. Show us, God, where we have believed a lie, where we've been trusting something that isn't you, and draw us back to yourself this morning, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.